it is a good day in the Lord's house. Amen? Amen. Don't lie about it, okay? We are up to the ninth commandment now out of ten. That command in Deuteronomy 5 that says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Commonly understood to simply imply that we are never to lie, that lying is wrong. We know that lying is not just about straight falsehoods, but is simply implying something that is actually false. We know that this is true because our politicians hide behind this definition of lying where it is only a, a straight declaration of what is not true. They do this all the time. So if you came up to me and you said, Pastor, Pastor, I bet you, you worked really hard on your sermon this week. Did you work hard on your sermon this week? And I said, I worked hard. I worked hard. That could mean that I worked hard on my car, that I worked hard on my house, that I worked hard on my tan. Okay, well, it couldn't mean the latter, but it could mean a lot of things, right? But the implication when I tell you that, when you ask me a straightforward question, is that I'm implying that I worked hard on my sermon this week, right? We often think of that not in terms of telling the truth, but as a lie. It's a lie even though you didn't actually falsely say that you worked on your sermon hard this week or that you could have actually worked hard on your lawn this week and, and in that sense told the truth, but you were implying that you worked hard on your sermon. And so we would see that as a lie. It doesn't have to be a straight falsehood. We sense lies at times. We sense the Certain things are too good to be true. When you receive that email from the Nigerian prince, you know that he's not actually going to come through, okay? If you don't know that, please, he's not going to come through, okay? We, we can smell things that are too good to be true from a mile away. As a matter of fact, we, we have a sense that people generally, while true, are prone to lying and falsehoods. We don't just tell lies by not telling all of the truth or implying something. We can tell falsehoods by the way we carry ourselves, by the things we say and the things we do. We know that lying is prevalent in our culture because of how we interact with one another. And more than that, we know that lying is prevalent for no other reason than the fact that one of the best talks on TED Talks, one of the most watched ones, is on how to spot a liar, which I think was actually just put on by someone who wants to lie to everybody, and so she told them all the wrong things to look for so that she could finish lying to everybody. How are we supposed to know? Let us then talk about what it means to lie, to bear false witness. We notice that while we talk about lying, the commandment is actually you are not to bear false witness against your neighbor. And that implies that it's something a little bit more specific than just not saying things that aren't true. Why is it, why is it that in the scriptures, speaking truth is so important? As we look through Scripture, we find time after time after time where Scripture holds up the fact that we are always to be people who speak the truth. They cares. Scripture cares. God cares very much about the words that come out of our mouths, how they come out of our mouths, and why they come out of our mouths. Proverbs is littered with this kind of language. Proverbs 26, 24, and 26 says, Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, 
his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. You can easily deceive everyone around you. Proverbs warns us again and again and again about the deception of lying and about those who do. James 3, 1 and 2 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. That is an absolutely astounding verse that I have read and tried to understand and I cannot plumb the depths of. He's saying that you can do all things. You can control every aspect of your life if you can control what comes out of your mouth. That doesn't just mean not yelling at your neighbor when he lets his dog run through your yard, okay? That's not just controlling your tongue and the kind of stuff that comes out of your mouth. That also means, I think, being able to speak the right thing at the right time. Why is it so important? Like everything else that is important, it starts with God. First, we need to understand that God's word creates reality. God's word creates reality. What we mean by that is not, is not that God's word comports with reality or, or it matches reality, that God always speaks what is true. We know that that is true, but that's kind of a weird way to put it. Because when we say that we speak the truth, what we mean is that what we say matches the reality that is in existence. Okay? But when we say that God speaks truth, we don't actually mean that. What we mean is literally God speaks and reality comes into existence. That he can't lie because whatever he says becomes truth. So in the beginning when he creates the world, God says, let there be light. And there was light. It didn't exist before. It wasn't present. It didn't even have a form or it had never conceived of in anyone else's mind. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't a concept. It certainly wasn't a physical entity until God said, let it be. And his very speaking it out created the reality that we know of as light. It creates the reality that we know of as existence. It is because God has spoken it. This isn't just the physical, tangible things in life either. John 1, 3, all things were made through him and without him not anything was made that was made. He can't put that any stronger. If there was something that was created, God created it and he created it by speaking. Colossians 1, 16, for by him all things were created. And Paul is a little bit more specific than John is here. In heaven and on earth, visible, tangible, and invisible or intangible. That which you can see with your eyes and that which you can't see with your eyes. All things were made by him and they were made by him by speaking. He spoke in the beginning. But it's not just the fact that he speaks and it comes into existence. It is by his speech that he maintains its existence. He doesn't just create, but he upholds the world with his power. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus, that is, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. You exist because God spoke you into existence and you continue to exist because God tells you to continue existing. God's word creates reality. But we also know that Satan's word distorts reality. Satan is called a liar and the father of lies. 
We read almost immediately in Genesis that after God speaks and everything is created, he talks and universe pops into existence. Worlds are formed, suns are formed, explosions happen, gases collide with one another. He is creating by speaking. He puts man in the garden. He gives man a wife. They are happy together. And then the serpent comes in. And in chapter 3, Satan speaks. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? This is referring back to chapter 2, where God says, You can eat out of all the trees of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you cannot eat from. And so Satan creeps in and he asks a question, first fairly innocuous. Did God actually say this? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said... You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, No, no, you won't die. Realize very clearly what Satan is doing there. God has created a world by the power of his voice. He has spoken it into existence. It exists and it maintains its existence because God has said it should be so. God simply opens up his mouth, metaphorically, speaks, and things occur. What Satan does then, it says, no, that's not reality. This is reality. He paints a different reality. He distorts the reality of what God has made and presents Adam and Eve with a different reality, a reality in which they can eat of the fruit and not suffer the consequences that God himself said would happen. And when God speaks, it always happens. He is distorting reality. He is providing them a false reality. He is, in a very real sense, acting like God, only without power, without glory, and without majesty. He is trying to create a reality in which men and women can sin and not fall under the condemnation of God. Or rather, he is actually creating a reality in which they will do that, but he wants them to think that that is the case. He is distorting reality. Listen, this is what happens when we lie. This is the very nature of every lie that we do. When you are caught in something, you say, no, I, I didn't do that. What are you doing? You are creating a reality for the people around you in which you didn't actually do the thing that you know you just did. You are creating a false reality that stands against the reality that God has made. You are not only acting against the reality that God has made, but you are acting against God himself. You are pretending to be God, speaking truth into being, and you are doing it falsely. It is nothing, it is nothing but deception, lies, and idolatry. This is why Scripture speaks so highly about us speaking well, that we are not to lie. We are to live our lives in accordance with what God has spoken, with the reality that is actually true, not reality the way we want it to be. And so therefore, our own speech should recognize God's reality. Moses, in laying this out in Deuteronomy 5, as we have walked through Deuteronomy and seeing how Moses is explaining these commandments to us. We come then to Deuteronomy 26, where the explanation of the ninth commandment happens. He is explaining what it means to be people who do not lie about their neighbors, who do not lie, who speak the truth, who witness correctly to their neighbors. And we read this. 
Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today that the Lord your God, to the Lord your God, that I have come into the land the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. God didn't just speak creation into existence and he didn't just leave it there when Satan distorted it and destroyed it. As Adam and Eve fall, the whole world corrupts itself. And as we've talked about before, Satan flips everything on its head. As a serpent speaks to the people, they do not tell him what is true and good and right, but they listen to the voice of a serpent. All of creation gets flipped upside down. People begin to worship creatures and animals and themselves over God. God begins to write that ship in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, the Lord says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is not like creation in the sense that in creation when God said let there be light, immediately there was light. This is a promise, but it is no less sure. God has spoken, and the reality will come to be. God cannot lie because when he speaks, reality does what he tells it to. So when he says, I will make you great, it is true. It isn't true like my promises are true. It is assured to be true. He has promised that there will be a line of people that he will bless, that he will make them great, that he will make them numerous, and that all of the families of the world will be blessed through him. So what we have is when the land is finally given to them, the land that Abram was shown, when the people, the nation, delivered out of Egypt take that land, in accordance with the promise that God made, I will make you great, I will make you a nation, go to the land that I will show you. When all of that happens, what are you to do? You are to go and you are going to declare to the priest what the Lord has said is true. God has done what he said he would do. I had a father who was a wandering Aramean 
who was small in number, and he multiplied them. He made them great and powerful, and he gave them a land flowing with milk and honey, just like he said he would. Our speech should recognize God's reality. We are not creating reality. We are responding to it. We are declaring what God has said. We are acting in accordance with it. We talk in such a way that we recognize what God is already doing in the world. This is why people who stand, who stand against Jesus Christ, who is the final and total fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. That's why people who stand against him cannot help but lie because what they are doing is declaring that what God has done has not happened. If you deny Christ, you are denying the reality that God has made true. You are denying the reality that through Christ will he bless all the world. You are denying the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and King over all the world, that God has made him such by resurrecting him from the dead. You are denying the reality of what God has spoken and made true. You are a liar and you are acting the same way that Satan does in the very beginning. This is why Jesus is able to look at the Jews and say, your father is Satan. It is because they are standing against the truth of what God is doing. They do not recognize and their voices will not give credence to what God is doing in Christ. recognizing God's reality is just not saying, it's not just saying things that are true that we can manage and we can handle. It's, it's not simply saying that when God tells you or when your, your wife asks you to deliver a package, that you actually deliver that package, right? And that when she calls you at 450 and says, did you get it to the mail? You aren't allowed to say, yeah, I did that. Totally did that. While it's sitting in your car, knowing that you didn't do it. That's a lie, and it's bad. But the purpose of what Christ is calling us to hear is much larger than that. It is understanding the reality of everything that goes on in the world. It is understanding the reality of what God is making the world into and what the world is not. It is understanding the world from God's perspective and recognizing it and speaking such. That is why we confess things. But it's not enough simply to confess. Our actions should recognize God's reality as well. Our actions should recognize God's reality as well. Notice that the man doesn't just talk about what the Lord has done, but he responds to what the Lord has done. In verse 12, he goes on. He says, When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of the tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey." He says, I am not just paying you lip service. I'm not just saying that what you have said has come true, but I'm acting like what you've said has come true. 
evangelicals are horrible about this. We talk about confession as though it is only something that comes up from our voices. As though somehow moving our mouths and pumping air in and out of our lungs is not somehow an action. It's not somehow something that we are commanded to do. We are commanded to do it. Your actions are important in how you tell the truth. This man would be lying if he didn't bring in his tithe. If he didn't do what the Lord commanded him, he couldn't very well stand and say, the Lord God has done everything to us. He has been good to us in all ways, but I am unwilling to part with this. No, he's lying because he doesn't know the Lord of the covenant. He doesn't know what it means to belong to the covenant. And his actions demonstrate that he himself is a liar. Your actions are important. And don't think for a second, don't think for a second that simply confessing the Lord Jesus with your tongue is a replacement for living a life that is filled with holiness. Paul says this in Galatians 2, 11 and 14 and recognize who he's talking about here. He's talking about Peter, the apostle Peter. When I, or when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face In verse 14, he says, When I saw his conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He does not oppose Peter because of his bad theology. He opposes Peter because he's acting poorly. And more than that, he says that Peter stands condemned. If Peter, no matter how good of a confession he has, does not change the way he is acting, he is lying, he's not walking in the truth of the gospel, and because of that, he is denying the gospel, no matter what comes out his mouth, as an apostle of the Lord. How dare we think that we will be spared? Too many times we convince people that what they need to do is simply confess the gospel, walk an aisle, say a prayer, go on your merry way. You will be saved because all saints are always saved. God will not let them go. That's well and true. But only when saving faith is active can you actually act on it. But you must act on it. When God saves you, when God interacts with your life, when he has placed you in covenant, now we know Unlike the old covenant, he changes our hearts. He makes us new again. We cannot help but walk in light of what God has called us to do and to be. It is a response that is necessary. It doesn't get us saved, but it is the natural fruit of being saved. And we cannot say that we are actually proclaiming the truth when we don't walk in the truth. You can say that Jesus is Lord all you want to. You can say that he has saved you all you dare please. But unless you walk in it, it is not true. You are lying. Our actions should clearly recognize God's reality. This is part of the reason why we, we don't hide sin from one another anymore. Why we don't lie? Why don't we lie? When, when you are asked to do something and you don't do it, why? Why not lie? Why not get away with it? Why not? Because your wife, this, this has happened before. My wife has asked me to do something and I haven't done it. Listen, this happens like every week. That's, that's a lie. This happens every day. So she asks me to do stuff and I forget to do it. And there are times when I'm tempted to say, and I have said before, no, no, I, I did that. Right? Why do I do it? Why do you do it when you lie? All of you lie. Why? Because you think that you can get away with it? Because you think that the reality that you create is a better reality? You think because it's not a harmful thing for the person that you're lying to? But in reality, 
The reason why you do it is because you're afraid of the anger the other person is going to feel. You're afraid that you're not going to be forgiven for it. You're afraid you're going to be looked down on upon it because you don't trust the promise of Christ that there is forgiveness specifically within a body of believers. You don't confess to one another your sins because you don't believe what God has spoken that you will be forgiven, either by Christ or by your fellow believers. This is why we are able to confess our sins to one another because we speak the truth and we trust the truth of what God has spoken, that those who have been forgiven will forgive much. When we don't buy into that, we lead ourselves astray. This is why Romans 14.23, Paul says, whoever doubts is condemned if he eats because eating is not from faith. This is the important part. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Why is that? Why is it that whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin? Because if it doesn't proceed from faith in what Christ is doing, it is false. It is a lie. You are acting against Christ. If you don't believe in Christ, it doesn't matter what you do. If you are not ascending to the fact that Jesus Christ is a throne, is king above all the world, it doesn't matter what you do. If you don't trust in the reality that God has made and walk in line with that reality, you're a liar. You are bearing false witness against God to your neighbors. There is good news in all of this. And that good news is the reason why we can confess is because Jesus is quick to forgive. We can confess our sins to one another. We can confess that even, even the fact that we are liars, we can do that precisely because Christ has forgiven us. He has made a way by which we no longer have to carry that guilt. Jesus Christ has forgiven us, and so we forgive one another when we lie. And as a matter of fact, he has done one better. He has changed our lives and the fact that we are liars and sinners and made us holy again. This is good, good news. However, there is more to this than simply saying that we can't lie. There are specific exemptions about lying and deceiving in Scripture. And it is wrong, I'm going to say flat out, it's wrong for someone to say there is never a time when you can lie when they are defining lying as always telling the truth, depending on how you want to frame what the truth is or how you want to frame what a lie is. There are numerous times when we lie. As a matter of fact, we've done it millions of times today already. If you want to define lying as only saying what is precisely true, all metaphors are lies. We know that that's not the case, though. We know that sarcasm isn't the case, right? We know that when we joke with one another, if it's received as a joke and everyone knows that you are not telling the truth when you joke, that it is okay and acceptable to do that. Now, there are other ways in which that can be carried too far. Like when I make Doug cry, and he cries like a girl, like a little girl, right? Because, yeah, because, because you know that I'm joking about that. You know it's not a lie. These are things that I've called consensual deceptions. You know that it's not true. I know it's not true. Everyone agrees that it's not true. This works for idioms, it works for sarcasm, it works for metaphors, it works for a number of figures of speech that we have. It works for games. Why is it okay, why is it okay to play hide and seek? Aren't you hiding, someone's calling for you and you are lying to them like you didn't hear them and not coming out. Why is it okay? Well, it's okay because they know that's part of the game. You're supposed to hide, right? 
What's not okay is for your kids to call timeout and you to shoot them with a dart gun anyway. <laughs> but it's more fun, right? So we understand, we understand that there are times in which falsehoods are okay when everybody's in on the joke. When everybody's in on the game, it's okay to do that. Even in times of war, we don't expect truth of the utmost variety to be used. We expect that people who we go to war against are going to do things that are deceptive. We wouldn't call it lying because it's like part of war. Because it's consensual. We know that that's part of the game, if you want to phrase it as a game. But there are other realities that are a little bit more difficult, but Scripture frankly speaks about in terms of it being okay. The best example of this, by far, in Scripture is Rahab. The spies who are going to take Jericho come to Rahab's house. They are spying out Jericho for Joshua. They come to her house and she says, listen, I will hide you from the people of the city. I will hide you. But when you guys come and you ransack Jericho, which I know you will do because I trust that the Lord has done this, we hear of all the victories that you have had. We know the strength of the Lord behind you. We will melt like wax before you. And because of that, I will hide you so that you will save me from what is coming. So she does. Men come to her door. She says, no, they they went that way. And they leave. Now, Scripture doesn't just not condemn her actions in the book of Joshua when that happens, but James actually goes out of his way to laud her. She is, out of all of Scripture, one of two examples that he picks out of actions following faith. He says you have to have actions with your faith. Your faith has to have works. And he talks about it in terms of Abraham. Abraham says that he believes God. God asked him to give him his son, and so he puts his son on the altar, demonstrating his faith by putting his son on the altar. That's a really good example. James then could have gone anywhere, but he goes to Rahab specifically, and specifically the fact that she hid them. Now, a number of scholars will come back and say, well, you'll notice that James doesn't say that it was her lie that was okay. Listen, guys, Hiding someone is lying, right? You literally hid them from the people. The whole, she does, if she tells the truth there, she doesn't hide them, okay? All she did was escort them to the roof. That's not hiding. The whole point of hiding is lying to people about where you hid them. That's the whole, that's the whole point. Scripture upholds her deception in this. There's no doubt about it. It upholds her deception. As a matter of fact, we can go through a number of different examples where there is deception in the Bible that is upheld not only as okay or not even negatively characterized, but as good. Exodus 1, 15 through 21, the Egyptian midwives lie about the killing of the, they, they give birth too quickly. No, that's a lie. They refuse to kill them. Joshua 2, we've talked about that. Joshua 8, the ambush at Ai. Judges 3, Ehud lies about what he's about to do to the king. Judges 4, Jael and Sisera, she lies about there being something for him in the tent and then drives a stake through his skull. 1 Samuel 19, 20, 21, and 27, David lies and deceives all the way through there. 2 Samuel 15, 5, 17, etc., etc., etc. Go and read these passages. There is deception going on in Scripture. But we need to be very clear what these deceptions are and why they are taking place. These deceptions only occur when doing good to our neighbor 
must be through lies to protect them from the oppression of God's enemies. That is it. That is you know, all of these cases. is a protecting of those who are oppressed of, by God's enemies for their good. It is a love of neighbor that leads you to do this. The test case for lying, the test case, is, is incredibly helpful for us because in ethics, typically what happens when you have an ethical dilemma, this is the way that they typically teach ethics. We give you this sort of false scenario, and then you have to work through what is the right decision. And some of these false scenarios are so far out there that it would just never come true. But for lying, we have the false scenario, and it was true millions of times over. What do you do if you were a Dutch citizen hiding Jewish people and the SS come to your door? Is it okay to lie to them? Or in faith somehow trusting in God, do you say, yeah, they're up in my attic? I think it's perfectly fine to lie to the SS officer in that case. I think it's perfectly okay because they are, by their own actions and definitions, stated enemies of God. Those Jews are oppressed. They are your neighbors. And the only way you can do good to them is by trying to hide them. The only way you can do good. Turning them over is leading to you know precisely what. Only by doing good to them, in lying, can you protect them. It's the same reason why we allow Christians to be missionaries in countries that will not grant them access by saying things like, yes, I'm going to open a business and I'm going to run a business. They will ask them, point blank, is that the primary reason you are here? I'm going to tell you, I think it's perfectly legitimate for those Christians to say, yeah, that's why I'm here, knowing full well that's not why they're there because they are lying to an impressive government who is subjugating their people so that they might not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for the good of those people, we lie to the enemies of God to bring good to those who are oppressed. Same reason why I think it's perfectly okay to take a hidden camera into a Planned Parenthood center so that you can hear the lies that those people speak, that they will not speak publicly, so that you can make it known how they are oppressing women and certainly babies by killing them and leading women astray by their falsehoods and their lies. There are specific exemptions to this, but no, no. They are incredibly, incredibly narrow exceptions. And these exceptions do not touch your everyday life. At no point in time can you say back and say, well, I'm doing good to my neighbor. I know that he is a thief and a robber, but I'm not going to turn him in because if I turn him in, bad things are going to happen to him and I want to do good to my neighbor. That's not what we're talking about here, right? That is not doing good to your neighbor. That's doing harm to everybody else to allow him to continue to thief and rob. It's not creating an alibi for people who do not deserve an alibi. You are not lying simply to get people off the hook. You are lying when innocent people will be hurt by you not lying, and specifically when it is against God's enemies. How that works out in your everyday life is, it almost never occurs. It almost never occurs. But if you want to go to Iran to be a missionary, and the only way you're going to get into that country to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who are lost and dying, people who are oppressed by a Muslim government that will not allow them to even speak the name of Jesus Christ without persecution or threat of persecution, you lie. You are going to protect innocent people by getting them out of a situation in which they will assuredly be killed 
you lie. You do it without hesitation. You do it with the full blessing of God. When you steal something from work and you are caught on it, you don't lie because you're not saving anybody but yourself. These things are clearly exceptions. Never, never do they aid only yourself. And they are being done only for the good of your neighbor in times of what can only be described of as war. Such times are very rare and they are extremely unlikely to occur for any of us. Again, this isn't just providing an alibi for a friend, lying to get somebody out of trouble, covering your tracks, and especially not deceiving fellow believers. It is never okay to deceive fellow believers. Further, the gospel can never be handled in this manner, for that is a direct mistrust of the work and person of Jesus Christ. We, we can't lie people into the kingdom. Paul says we, we never underhandedly present the gospel to anyone. We can lie about why we're there to present the gospel, but we have to always give the gospel. One of the wonderful things about the atoning work of Christ is his ability masterfully to take our lies and make truth out of them. We lie, we stand against him, he forgives and changes us so that we speak the truth. He makes the righteous out of sinners, preachers of truth out of liars. For those of us who have experienced this change, in our reality, we know what it was to be a liar and now we know what it is to speak the truth. Let us give thanks to Christ for his work in giving us not only true bread in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, but let us be truthful with one another. Let us uphold the truth in all ways. Let us specifically uphold the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Let us uphold the truth that we will forgive one another for our sins. Let us stop lying to ourselves and stop lying to one another. And know that in those exceptions, in those exceptions, they are exceptionally rare and should only be treaded upon with the greatest of care. Lest we be called liars. Indeed, to make sure that we are not, we need to stand and we need to sing, All I have is Christ, for that is indeed all the truth that we can muster. Let us pray. Father God, you are kind to us in so many ways. We are grateful for your work in our lives, that you have made those of us who are liars, who pervert the truth, who said false things about you, about your kingdom, who misunderstood the reality that you have created with your word. Father, you have redeemed us, you have changed us, you have made us right before you again, that we might forever praise your name, that we might be truthful with one another, quick not only to speak of the reality that you have made, but to act in accordance with it. Because we have been forgiven, we forgive. Because we have been shown mercy, we show mercy. Because we have been loved, we love. That is what you have called us to. Let the confessions of our mouth, meditations of our hearts, and the works of our hands declare your truth. For truth is not just found in statements, but it is found in a person. It is in Jesus Christ, who is himself the way and the truth and the life. And it is only by him that we can come to you. We ask, Father, that you strengthen our voices as we stand to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ, the truth. In his name we pray. Amen.